Welcome to today's episode of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. My name is Aaron Bossig, and I'm going to be your host. Today we're welcoming Eddie Deason, who MST3K fans will remember from Laser Blast, Grease fans will remember from that movie, and tons of people will know this guy's voice acting. He's got a lot of talents that I want to bring onto the show, so let's get started. On tap today, we have Eddie Deason. How are you doing today? Good, sir. Great, Aaron. It's great talking to you. I am glad to have you here. Uh, there's so many things I want to pick your brain about. I mean, I first of all, I have to confess that I got to know your work through Laser Blast. Uh-huh. My I, very first film released, yeah. <laughs> it was the second film I did. I, Grease was my first film. Mm-hmm. Laser Blast was second, but Laser Blast was released first. So mm-hmm. it was my first film ever released, March 1st, 1977. And once I realized that, I went through a little rabbit hole and so much of your voice acting is stuff that has meant a lot to me. So I, there's a bunch of things. And I guess I guess want to say, making movies back when you made Grease and Laser Blast, it was a mm-hmm. very different time. And I, I find that period of movie making very fascinating. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was a great time. What strikes you as being different about that compared to the way we're doing things now? Well, the budget, for one thing, Greece, we made a budget of six million. Mm-hmm. Six million. Greece is like, you made what? 80 gajillion dollars or whatever yes. now, you know, but it was six million. When we did 1941, it was the biggest comedy of all time. Bloated, you know, Spielberg's throwing away all this money. So it was $40 million. You know, now, the, you know, you almost do student films for this money now. So the money's changed. Yeah, nah. You know, this style of humor, like a lot of the, like, I did a, uh, a DVD commentary of a movie I did called Surf 2 in the 80s. And it was like a time capsule of the 80s. There were, you know, these crazy party films we had in the 80s. You know, different eras, different genres catch on. And in mm-hmm. the 80s, there was that kind of film, you know, I guess. Maybe the Animal, the animal House was so influential, you know. And I think it kind of carried on to the 80s. There were, really, you know, these wild party films, Bachelor Party, you know, stuff like that. And, and those kind of films, I mean, number one, I like them. I like a movie that will give me a good laugh. And those movies were all about that. It was... Yes. It was okay I being saw silly. The film, I saw uh, Surf 2 yesterday. I watched first film for the first time in like 35 years. And I was laughing my head off. It was really, really a funny film. I do funny stuff in it. Everybody in the cast, Cleavon Little, everybody's funny in it. And it was really a, a funny film. So, you know, even the, we, me who made it, I changed my opinion. When Surf 2 first came out, I thought it was a real dog. I thought we saw it. And I remember going to the premiere... You, you know, the press was there, and I thought I was disappointed. I go, we missed with this one. I thought it was going to be good because that was the first one I ever had the lead in. I was the lead name in that, and I, you know, I wanted it to do good. But in retrospect, it's, it's kind of a cult film now, and they, uh, it's, it's really funny. The director would just let me loose. You know, usually when I work on a film, Aaron, the director would say, pull it back a little because I get very broad. I get hyper and broad, and they'll say, pull it back. But this director just let me loose, Randall Badat. And it just, I can really, it's me, you know, in my mid-20s when I was in my prime, you know, physically. And I'm just doing my thing, you know. Very much so. And I find it amusing that the, the complaint would have been that you were hyper. You're, you strike me as a hyper guy, really? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> in first grade era, and my teacher used to tie me in my chair with a jump rope. I couldn't stay in my seat. I was always running around. And finally, literally, she put me in my chair, and she tied me with a jump rope to my seat so I wouldn't run around so much. Even as early as kindergarten, I remember, you know, in kindergarten, we take those naps on towels, you know, you put your towel on for And I could never do it. The kids would sleep on their towels, you know, and I would be running around or walking around. I just couldn't lie still, and I'd be walking around. Sure, and that's... Again, that's what you need in comedy. You need energy. You need spontaneity and excitement. And that's what I, I – it's very hard to find a comedy these days, much less find one that has that in it. 
totally agree. I couldn't agree with you more. There hasn't been a really good one out in years. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of the last time. I mean, honestly, the last time I really, really laughed at a movie was Deadpool, and that was not exactly a comedy, but it was just, it had that kind of comedic effect. That excellent took me point. Surprise. Excellent call. Excellent point. He just kind of riffs in it. I, I thought he was channeling Robin Williams. He was so funny in that. So, what's the guy's name again? Uh, uh, Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds, he, he's hilarious. Mm-hmm. He's a brilliant comedian. I just, I go, this is this is like a Robin Williams for more than anything else. He's just riffing, and it was he was hysterical. I was great from the title credits. It was funny, you know. They had mm-hmm. those obscene title credits, these funny credits like that. It just went from there. And you you make an excellent choice. I love that movie. I saw the movie with my mom, and I we both loved it. My mom loved it too. I thought it was so clever, original, funny. Yeah. It was one of the few times I had to stop a movie because I was laughing so hard that I was afraid of missing something. Yeah, I, that, that's quite a compliment, yeah. And that's... I mean, to Brian, yeah. I was about to say that it's it's not really a comedy, but it, it is, and it's actually not too far from the movies. We were just talking about the Animal House and... Uh, yeah, it, it's very to... tongue in cheek. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, 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 yeah, I see this. I see what you're going for, and I, I see your point there. Yeah, it's kind of like that. It's not exactly like that. Where there's, you know, the '80s was the ensemble party scenes. Mm-hmm. This was like Ryan Reynolds, you know, tour de force. This is his thing. You know, he's mm-hmm. like totally stole the movie in every way. It's his movie. Whereas the '80s it was, it, it was like Animal House. This is these group of people doing the stuff together. Yeah, and like to go back to say a laser blast just to make a movie designed to give somebody a good time and then to be a good use of an afternoon it's almost it's it's seen as being simplistic today we don't do that we have everything has to be a big budget masterpiece and I, yeah, it has to be big. But, well, we remember, we're working in a different industry now. In those days when I first started, you know, Grease, Laser Blast, I want to hold your hand. You made a movie. Mm-hmm. If it tanked, it tanked, and you wouldn't hear from it again. You know, it goes to TV, you know, and you might see it on the Late Show. Now, you know, we have 500 channels. Everything's picked up. I did this turkey errand called A Polish Vampire in Burbank. Mm-hmm. Low budget. I did it as a favor to a friend. It's like a student film, and somebody emailed me. You know, Eddie, I just saw you in a Polish vampire in Birmingham. Are you serious? You know, it's like <laughs> everything swallowed up now because you know you've got to fill five hundred channels now, and you know we have DVDs, you know, videos. All it's, it's just a different world now. When I grew, how old are you, Aaron? I am about to turn forty. Oh, okay. You're still pretty. You're, you're younger than me. I'm sixty four. I turned sixty four on March sixth. And, you know, when, I, when we grew up, you know, you want to see something like, a, let's say, a Marx Brothers film. I want to see Duck Soup. Mm-hmm. And, and you had to wait, you know. You just wait. When's it going to play TV? That's, that was the only thing you had. Mm-hmm. You just it, wait. Maybe in six months it comes on TV, then it's on at 8 o'clock. So you have to time your dinner and get home, you know. I'm going to do my homework and da-da-da. But you ha- from 8 to 10, I want to watch this Marx Brothers film. Nowadays, you know, you push a button on a computer, you can get any Marx Brothers film or anything, you know let alone TV. They're, they're all over the place. So we live in a great world that way. Technology is good in that, that we have such access to this stuff. Like Laser Blast would probably never have been heard from again, you know. Now you'll find it. You know. And Mystery Science Theater, by the way, did a hilarious uh, takeoff on that. I don't know if you ever saw it. Uh, yes, Mystery Science many Theater, times. That, that, by the way, that's better than the movie. I, I, I laughed my head off when I saw it. It was so much better than the movie. The movie's very mediocre, I thought. It has its charm, and you can see where it came from, being right in the meat of the yeah. Star Wars era. Yeah. But uh, I <laughs> I find it funny that they did, a lot of people now refer to you as the Bill Gates character, which was a, a reference you would not have had back then. Right, right. You seem to enjoy the fact that your movie took on that kind of a, an identity 
long after it's released. Yeah, yeah, because it gives it life, right? And again, like I said with Surf 2, I saw, you know, you, you see films in different times. You view them at different times. You can say, for instance, The Apartment. The Apartment's one of my all-time favorite films. I've seen it like six times. Mm-hmm. And then one time I watched it and I didn't like it. I just turned on the apartment and go, this film, it just annoyed me and I didn't like it. It just, my, it was a different view. Then I saw it again after that, Aaron, and I liked it again. I loved it. It's one of my favorite films. But, you know, something might have, maybe you had an argument. Maybe you and your girlfriend had an argument that day or something. You know, you know what I mean? Maybe you were a little bit sick that day. Maybe, you know, with, uh, somebody didn't pay off the debt they owe you that day and you were upset. It could be anything. So when you watch it, too, can have effect, too. You get, there's a, it, Steve Allen talked about this. You can have a good crowd in a theater. You get into a movie and you show the same movie, and one night he goes, you come in and it's this carnival crowd. They're all ready to laugh and they're rollicking and they're ready to go. And you come in another time and it's just a down crowd. They're just like almost hostile and they don't want to laugh. It's the same film. You know, and it can be that way in nightclubs too. Night, you know, you get a good this good, good crowd. You know, you get a good crowd. Same, you do the same shtick the next night, and you get a bad reaction, and got a good reaction before. So there's all kinds of you know we're human beings. We have all these different facets. You know, different things happen, and we have all this different technology. Different things happen. True enough, and I love the fact that you picked the apartment. That is a movie. It's on my short list of if you just need a random good movie to give people, I always toss in that one. Yes, unequivocally. It's so beautiful. It is. And it's one of those movies, my favorite part about it is that unlike most of the movies of that era, you don't really see the happy ending until about 10 seconds before the credits roll. Yeah, you There's, don't know what's going to happen, right? right. You don't know if she's going to die when she attempts suicide. You, you know, it's, it's, it takes you all over the place in that yeah. film. Fred McMurray plays this great heavy in it, and it's just such a beautiful film in every way. It's almost the perfect film. Well, you know, you don't get any better than Billy Wilder. There's nobody better. Yeah, to call it a perfect film, I'm not sure what I could say. Oh, that was a missed moment. That was a bad line. Usually I can find yeah. something where it's like, man, if, if they could do that again, they'd do it differently. You couldn't do that one differently right. any step of the way. Right. But to, to speak of just perfect for me, when's the last time anyone asked you about Duckman? Oh, Duckman, yes. And nobody. I don't think I've ever been asked about that in an interview. I'm a, I might, I'm, I'm a Facebook nut, and somebody might have mentioned it on Facebook, but I remember Jason Alexander was the nicest guy in the world. I love working with him. He was a wonderful, nice man. Uh, it was a fun shoot. Everybody was nice in the cast and crew. And um, that's about all I remember. I just I remember Jason Alexander. I didn't know who he was. Interesting, at that time, I'd never seen Seinfeld. And I just thought, this is this nice guy. You know, I didn't know he was George Costanza. Then I later became a Seinfeld nut. You know, I thought, that's the guy I work with. And so, you know, Seinfeld, I've seen every episode. You know, I just love sure. it. Like, I, 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 met, I was in Hollywood one day and walking down the street, Jerry Seinfeld with a girl. A girlfriend, I don't know, that I, I said, there's that guy on TV. I said, I, I didn't even know his name was Seinfeld, you know. But I'd seen him somewhere on TV. I knew he was a star. And I just pointed him out. And he, like, nodded his head to me, you know. It was very innocuous. Sure enough. And uh, we're just talking about how The Apartment is one of those movies that just doesn't get a lot of recognition. And Duckman, to me, is oh, like one of those. So? How, now, how do you figure that? Because I, I thought it's known as a classic. Oh, I think it's a classic too, but only among people who really like movies. Uh, if you just—that's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that I'm, I'm not sure I agree with you on that one. I don't know. Okay. I, I thought it just acclaimed as one of the greatest movies ever made. I, I didn't. I've never seen that. I mean, I just—I've seen it. It's it, it, it just. Kind of, I mean, not to the extent of Wizard of Oz or Citizen Kane, but mm-hmm. it's known as a classic film, like you know, The Searchers or something like that, or Red River. It's it's you know, just a classic Hollywood movie. You won't get any argument from me. I just, 
yeah. when I when I bring up classic movies, that just doesn't tend to make the short list for for people who are just um, not. I said not super super movie buffs, but I said I I right. think it's perfect. Uh, but Duck yeah. Man for me yeah. is one of those shows it's that about as close to perfect as you ever get. Yeah, it, I think Duck Man. I'm is sorry, gonna, I, what were you saying? I was just saying I think Duck Man is an amazing show that just didn't get. Nope, ever, nobody talks about that either right now. It's like I said, it's got a great cast. You're being one great example there. Iggy Catalpa was a great character. Yes, Iggy Catalpa, right. Yeah, and it's just amazing that in this age when you said you can get stuff at the push of a button, we've missed stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I was just kind of wondering if, if that, I'm surprised that nobody brings it up to you. Yeah, I, I don't know. They, they'll bring up, um, what's the one I did? Uh, oh, Dexter's Lab's what I usually get. As far, I mean, if you count Polar Express as animation, that's obviously the one people talk about the most, because that's sure. like kind of a classic. That, not to toot my own horn, but it's looked on as kind of a classic right now. But uh, Dexter's Lab was probably my best thing that I did animate. You know, I, I, I never hit something super big like to do The Simpsons, you know, or Family Guy, I did one thing, and for some reason they never released it. I, I went in to do a Family Guy, got called in, and, and Seth was there, and we recorded together. You know, I just I had two lines to go, oh, hi, welcome to the Republican convention. I said, like, two lines, you know. And for some reason they had somebody else do it. They didn't use what I did. I don't know. To this day, I don't know what went wrong or why Seth didn't just use my stuff. It was, you know, it wasn't a big thing, but why didn't he just put it in the episode? But I looked and looked for that, and then Family Guy's one of the great shows, you know. But I, I just never did that, and I, I, I never did The Simpsons, you know, so. Dexter's Lab was probably the best thing I ever did when I played Mandark. I'll be honest with you. Your work in voice acting, I've been wanting to get a voice actor on for a while, and you're, you've got a heck of a resume in that regard. What is it like being a voice actor? Oh, I love Aaron. I loved it. This is, I'll go to the genesis of it. I did War Games. When I did War Games in 1983, okay, I come in, I had the one scene. It's a good scene. It's a scene I'm very proud of, and that's one of the really good films I did. I think it's it's kind of a classic film. Like maybe that's like what you would like the apartment. I think War Games is kind of like that. It's kind of like one of the classic films in that sense. But anyway, I go in. I have to say in the dialogue here, and I had to say da 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 in this new date encryption algorithm. Now, I can say it now, date encryption algorithm. But when we were filming it, we were there, and I was with Matthew, you know, and Maury Chaikin, my partner there. By the way, that was the first computer nerd. That was, the character I played in the movie was the first time there was a computer nerd. You can never find one earlier than that. But that was the start of the computer nerd. Then after that, you know, these guys came out with the pocket protectors and the glasses and the high voice. That was all based, well, not based on it, but that started computer nerds. But anyway, to get back to the point... I couldn't say Danny Cripps Albert, and they go, action. I go, yeah, we went to new data endocrine algorithm, cut, take two. Yeah, we went to new data endocrine algorithm, cut, take three. And I kept screwing it up. So finally, my, my director was Marty Brest. He calls me over. He crooks his finger. Come here, Eddie, let's go for a little walk. He puts his armor on my shoulder. He, we go outside. He goes, you're costing the studio money. I, I, mean, I, I literally screwed up like 10 or 15 takes. I just couldn't get that line. He goes, you're costing the studio money. He goes, what we're going to do is we're going to write your dialogue down on these things. They're called idiot cards. And he said idiot kind of the way he looked at me. <laughs> you know, these are idiot cards. Like, I, I thought he was a little bit hostile there. But anyway, he writes it down. I do the scene. And Aaron, I did it in one take. I, go, I read the thing, you know. Okay, you go in and take that. It's the new data encryption algorithm. And I read it, and that was the end of it. And he goes, this is great. You just read the Because I always had a hard time memorizing lines. I, I was never a good study. Some people, you know, Jackie Gleason, I heard, Desi Arnaz, I've heard. They just would get a script. They read it through one time, and they had the whole thing memorized. Not just their role, but they'd have everybody's dialogue memorized. And I could never do that. 
I did it like I had a big role in I want to hold your hand. And I really worked hard to memorize. And then later on I did, I think, Mob Boss. I memorized. I didn't use cue cards in that. But I, anyway, to get to the point, we did war games and I had that with the cue cards. Then I started using them after that. And then they said, there's this thing called voiceover. I started doing voiceovers like a few years after that. And you just read your dialogue. You don't have to memorize anything. Every voiceover, you know, you have the script right there and you read. You know, I, I walked down the street and I saw a pretty girl that on Maple Street. and You read the whole thing. And I fell in love with it. It's easy. I can do this easy. So that's how I started doing it. Like, for instance, Polar Express. Polar Express, my whole role is on cue cards. Everything I did was just read. They, had the, they got me Bob Hope's cue card holder, and he read, held it, and I read my whole role off that. And most of the films later, the Fred Olin Ray films and some of the other stuff I did, it's all read off cue cards. Or we'd have little index cards on the set. I was like Marlon Brando. Anyway, Aaron, we did Polar Express. I used cue cards all the way through it. Tom Hanks never said a word. Then the last day of shooting, where they're the last day of shooting, I'm there with my cue cards. And Tom, he goes, he goes, what the fuck are you doing using cue cards? He goes, what are you fucking Marlon Brando? He was kind of <laughs> like saying it. He was kind of like saying it in a joking way because he's like a joker. Tom actually kids around, but there was a little bit of truth there. I think he was a little, you know, this guy is not a. He's the consummate professional, you know. But he said that he was kind of like an older brother to me. He was kind of like scolding me, you know. You have to use cue cards, you know. So that's how we ended up doing it, but. I mean, he was a wonderful guy. He was never mean in any way, but there was just a very telling story. Yeah, I, I, I've heard that, you know, Tom Hanks is one of those people that should be on the short list of when the aliens come and we need people to represent us. We should have him on yeah. speed dial. What a beautiful line. I, I got to use that, Aaron. That's a great line. I mean, you couldn't have summed them up better. Same with John Travolta, same thing. They're like these, I, I wrote to John Travolta, I just go, I go, you're the person we all admire and aspire to be. And what you said is a beautiful quote. You're right. If the aliens come to Earth, I would want him to go and represent. What a beautiful line. Well, thank you. I, I, it's been banging around in my head. I don't actually remember if I came up with it or not. It's just been there for so long. Yeah. I mean, it fits Hanks to a T. He's just like you've always heard. He's just like everybody says he is. He's exactly what you see. So, but again, it seems like once you get into the voice acting gig, you just, you're stuck there for life because people tell me the same thing. It's, it's this amazing, easy, I don't say easy because it's never easy, but there's a lot less stress. There's a lot less fuss, right? No, you're exactly right. It was less competitive, I remember. We, this is like the, the days of the late 90s and the early 2000s. Nowadays, everybody's in. Everybody's doing voiceovers. Now, this before, there was a time, you know, the big stars didn't do voiceovers. And then later, you know, you get Robin Williams and the greats doing voiceovers. Everybody wants to do them because it is so easy. You just go in. It was much less competitive. Like, it's, it's, acting is pretty doggy dog. It's like, you know, I want this role, da da da, da you almost kill somebody to get the role. I'm exaggerating, but it, it's pretty tough. It's pretty competitive. Whereas voiceovers, we all kind of accepted each other. We go, Eddie does this shtick, and he does this, and all. We, we were all kind of rooting for each other. That's how I always found it anyway. The voiceover community was much friendlier, nicer, less competitive. I mean, I love the on camera community, too, but I, I just found it more doggy dog. You know, and that's kind of what I was, I was getting at. It's what was I was curious about is is what the the internal community was like, because you know, trying to get a hold of voice actors, trying to look into what they say to their fans on social media, it really it, it seems like it's very hard to see what it, the the rapport is like, what the chemistry is like. Mm -hmm. So right, I, yeah. 
So, and, and you say that's changed? Well, it's, it's, like, it's like any other project. The good projects, there's this natural chemistry, you know, whether it's Gilligan's Island or Citizen Kenya. The, the really great projects that last through time, and I, I do include Gilligan's Island. I, I, people will laugh, but I consider Gilligan's Island great art myself. I think it's a great show. It, you'll find this great camaraderie, and this, it's like this thing that all comes together, all the pieces come together. When you see the classic films, you know, the, the Citizen Kane, Red River, whatever, Star Wars, or whatever you're talking about, Mary Poppins, is every piece fits. You know, you got the great directing, the casting is good, the actors' performance is good, the direction's good, cinematography's good, the dialogue's good, and there's so many things. Somebody made a quote, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but they just go, when a movie's bad, there's, it's, no, they go, it's hard to make a classic movie or a great movie because there's so many things that can go bad. There's so many things. If any of those factors, you know, let's say you have a good cast and the director's bad, it can sabotage it, or vice versa. Let's say you have a great director, let's say you have John Ford, and it's a weak cast, you know, they just can't tear it off. Or maybe somebody's miscast, you know. John Wayne played Genghis Khan in that movie, you know. It's, it's not right for John Wayne, you know, to play Genghis Khan. And it just, there's all these different things. Maybe the, the writing's off in the film. The Marx Brothers, you know, the Marx Brothers did these great films, and then the later films were much weaker. Were the Marx Brothers worse? No, it was a couple years later. The writing got worse. The writing in their films was worse. Laurel and Hardy, you know, the writing in their films got bad at MGM. Sure. And I'm not going to disagree with you for a second, calling uh, Gilligan's Island art, because for me, art is anything at which you put your mind to making. It doesn't even necessarily have to be creative. So right. if somebody's saying, I want to Give me an make, example. What do you mean? Like, for example, people will say, there's an art to making a pot roast. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Cause, cause gotcha. It's, it's, it's the, the fact that you say, I'm going to do this, and you do it. So if, if what you're right. going to do is make a TV show, and you make right. one that has great actors, has a decent story, right. if it hits the audience in such a way that they, they respond to it, then you... That's that's great art right there. So yeah, what I would know, what I would say to you about making the pot roast, I, I see where you're going with that. And it, would, would, would is sometimes words have different definitions. Mm -hmm. That would be another definition word. I see what you're saying. Like for a barber, you see a barber working, and he gives these great haircuts. He's an artist. I see what you're saying. Yeah. But you see an artist in the sense that James Dean was an artist, you know, or no. Catherine Hepburn, you know. But mm -hmm. I, I totally see what you're going for. You're right. That we all have these little gifts per that definition because everybody has their thing, you know. Mm -hmm. Everybody's an artist in their own field, you know. Yes, yes, they are. A beautiful girl. You meet a beautiful girl. The way she made herself up and made her hair up and the way she dresses in this way, it's, it's art. You know, beautiful woman is art. There's no question about it. I, I agreed, agreed. <laughs> um, and, you know, you, you talk about Gilligan's Island and people will be down on that. Hey, I've watched Gilligan's Island when I was homesick from school. I loved it just yeah. as much as anybody else. Greatest uh, show ever. I think it's my favorite comedy show of all time. I mean, I, I love it, particularly the earlier episodes. It got kind of jumped the shark later on in the late episodes. It kind of, the writing got kind of lazy. But it, all you got all seven of these people. Let's analyze, analyze Gilligan's Island. You got all seven of these people. They all played their role great. Every one of them was great. Mm -hmm. There was this camaraderie of that. They, they, you know, the secret of the show was this love they had for each other. It was these seven people, and they were they had this love for each other. And they, they, it's like seven people against the physical universe. The physical universe is a bitch, you know. You got matter, energy, space, and time, and you have we have these little bodies where these little six foot, five foot things were called human beings, and we're fighting the physical universe. You know, just go out and look at the stars. Sometimes. 
sometimes. Just go up and stare at the sky. If you want to feel introverted, just go outside and look at the sky for about five minutes, and you'll see how small we are. But, you know, we band together, and we try to conquer the universe, which, you know, we try to go to the moon, or, you know, there's a disaster, and we try to band together and with the flood or whatever, and we try to stop this disaster or fight against this disaster. But the universe is a tough nut to crack. We're, we're fighting something very tough. Yeah, and uh, that that that's really deep, man. I, I, there's so much to unpack there; it's not even funny. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I mean, I that was part. I've heard that the original pitch for Gilligan's Island was they were trying to find a way to tell a story about how people of different backgrounds could end up working yeah. together if they had to. Yeah, you're exactly right. That's exactly what it was. That's what Sherwood Church was going for. And the question is, always asked, why did the Howells always have the costume changes? Everybody else wore the same outfits. The Howells had all these different outfits. Why? And Sherwood Schwartz said, he said, I wanted to show that the rich always had it better. Even on, even, you know, on a three-hour tour in the Maroon, he said, I wanted to show that the rich had it better. It was kind of a social satire. Mm-hmm. And you, you know they shouldn't. You know you, they're all on this island. They should all be equals. But somehow, Mister and Missus How were a little bit above the other. They were more, a little more prestigious. And I love how there's a very subtleness. What well, made it subtle to me? I don't know. Um, that the, the professor, the skipper, and Gilligan were always wearing red, white, and blue in a very just slightly yeah, no, patriotic a, nod. No, you're very, yes, you're very smart. Was that a touch? I, I don't know. We'll never know. I've never read that, but I realized the same thing. Those three will have a lot of scenes together, red, white, and blue. And was it, is it just a total coincidence, you know, or was it a patriotic thing, a little thing Sherwood Schwartz put in there? And you Because know, you figure it wouldn't have worked in the black and white episode. The first season was black and white. It didn't matter. Right. But, um, you know, the professor being a, I'm sorry, the, the skipper being a veteran, you know, that would have been just one more thing to throw in there just to cap it off. You mean a, a veteran in the show? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, there were some episodes where he was referring back to his time in the war. Right. And Ginger, it's interesting. Some episodes, Ginger's like this B-movie. Some, some episodes, she's like successful. You know, Ginger Grant, she's like a kind of a movie. You know, they say in the beginning, I'm the movie star. She's like, but then some episodes you go, when I'm a famous star, and she's like, she's like this aspiring actress. They kind of change her character a little bit there. By the way, who would have thought she would be the last survivor, Tina Louise? Right. Who would have guessed that? Yeah. I saw Erin. She's always been one of my, my two big fantasy girls are always oh, been Barbara Eden and Tina Louise. Now, Barbara Eden, I've done several scientists with. She's beautiful to this day. She's gorgeous. But Tina Louise was appearing once in L.A. She had she'd written a children's book, and she was there signing it. So, I, you know, I was all excited. I'm going to go see. I took the bus, you know, way down like an hour's ride to go see Tina. And then I saw her, and she looked so washed out and horrible. I almost cried, you know. And I didn't even go to see her. I just, it just broke my heart. Because, you know, we think of her as this va-va-va-boom ginger, you know. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, I, I definitely see now. I'm first convention I ever went to on my own, I went there specifically for the purpose of seeing Barbara Feldon. Oh, yeah. No, one of the last shows I did was with her. Yeah, she's lovely. And Indeed. she just turned 88, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, it was just, it was an amazing moment for me. It was 2002, I want to say. Uh, so I was just hitting my early 20s. She was a hair north of that. But, you know, just like you said, she Beautiful woman's a beautiful woman, no matter what. Yes. Uh, but you're, we're talking about these these shows, and you're talking about how Ginger could there she could be famous one minute and want to be the next. And that's right. what I miss about that era of TV is that you could have shows that were a little bit fantastic. You could have sitcoms that were based on 
absurd situations. And that's another thing. Oh, that oh, you, have the pixies. you have a talking horse, mm-hmm. you have a Martian, you know, you have a witch, you have a genie. You know, like, you're right. That era, we had, we had those kind of things. And they're all classic shows. Every one of them. Mm-hmm. Every one of them holds up, I think. Yeah. Uh, like yeah. F Troop is one of those shows that ran F-Troop, for two seasons. one of my season. favorites. Yes. Larry Storch is still around. He's I, like 98 or 99 or something. But yeah, F Troop was one of my favorites when I was a kid. Mikhail's Navy was one of my favorites when I was a kid. I loved that show. And then later I get to work with Tim Conway. You know, I'm having a conniption. My God, Tim. And he couldn't have been nicer. He's a super nice guy. I would always hope so. I saw him on Dorf, which I know you've been in, and the Married with Children yeah, episodes. Yeah. You saw what? What was the other one? Married with Children. He played Peg's father. In several episodes. Oh, I didn't know that. I know yeah. I never saw that. Mary Lee Short, I never super got into. I've seen a few episodes, but it's never been one of my favorites. Even though I hear it's really a hilarious show. It's very much a product of its era. So if you mm-hmm. lived in that era, which I know you did, you you get the humor. Now it's hard to get somebody into it if they never if they haven't seen stuff like that before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that's okay. I mean, it's like I. I just don't think it's going to age as well as to say the F troops and the I dream of genies and, and that right. sort of thing. Right, gotcha. I totally know what you mean. They said that about Dallas. It had Dallas was like this big show in the eighties, and they just said it hasn't aged well. They put it in reruns, and it wasn't really a big hit. It didn't age well. And I struggle to figure out what the difference is because it, it's, is it just that the audience now won't get into a fantastic? You, you know, movie? Aaron, you're asking a question that they, they've been asking for all that. Why did Char- you, you, why did Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton last, and other comedians are forgotten? You know, who knows? Why did they, the Three Stooges? Why are they lasted through time and all? And others have been quite the Ritz Brothers. Nobody knows, mm-hmm. but the Three Stooges, everybody knows. You know, so it's just you know the art. Why is you know when Shakespeare was writing in his time, did he have any idea he would be this god? You know that he's he's Shakespeare. You know, the most famous writer of all time. He's known all over the universe. Did he know? No, he had no idea. He was just another writer hacking out his work. You know, but. Mm-hmm. We pick art. Our art, the definition of art is it's something that communicates to us. You know, it communicates to us. We see, you see a great movie. You see, uh, you see Red River or you see Rio Bravo, you know, and this is something great. You see Martin and Lewis. This communicates to people. Elvis Presley. This communicates to millions of people. Whereas, you know, something communicates less. There was something about Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe came up in the air. There were all these blondes. You look at the 50s and, there, you know, every other actor is this blonde bimbo like Marilyn Monroe. But something about Marilyn Monroe appealed to people. We saw it in their eyes. We saw it in their presence. Something about this attracted us. And she's probably the most famous woman in the world. I was going, who's more famous than Marilyn Monroe? She's more famous than queens, you know, first ladies. She's like, she's on every internet all over the planet. There's just something about her that communicated to us. And... It, she communicated to us in a very short period of time because it, she she got I mean she got famous somewhat young but then died a little just shortly thereafter. Got, it, well, how about James Dean? Yes. How about James Dean? Three films, but he's more moral than anybody. You know, he's like the icon of icons. And people have pitched the idea that you know that's that's part of it that if, if they had long and successful careers they would have faded away. And I'm sorry, I don't I don't agree with that. Yeah, who knows? Well, I always say, I say that in one of the essays. I don't know if you read or I wrote tons of articles on the Internet. But I said, would it, let's, say, uh, let's say James Dean had lived. Yeah, we're not, no, no, here's one. Let's say Marilyn Monroe had been a brunette. Let's say she never been a brunette. Would it have been the same effect? Probably not. Let's, what if the Beatles had kept Pete Best? They never fired Pete Best and Ringo never came in. It's, it's stuff we'll always ask. Who knows? Gilligan's Island, you and me were talking about before, Aaron. You know, okay. But Jerry Van Dyke was off. He was the first choice. What if Jerry Van Dyke could play Gilligan and they never had Bob Denver? Would it have been the same? You know, it's just it's hypothetical things. Again, like sports. 
you know, what if Babe Ruth played today? You know, Babe Ruth goes out and gets drunk, you know, and he has all these horrors, you know, and, and then he comes the next day and hits three home runs. Could he do that nowadays? Would it be the same thing? Would Muhammad Ali be as great a boxer now? This is the question. They're just hypothetical that we always ask. Yeah. You know, we, we would have been, obviously, President Obama. He would never have been a president 50 years ago. There'd been no way. History would have been different. There's no way he could have been president, you know. Trump or whatever. You do politics, any field, there's like that. And I, I hate to, because, just like I said, we can't know. It, it's interesting to play with the possibilities, but I think that's how we, we get to the, we get to decide what's really important when we look at these things. Like I said, was, is the fact that she was blonde important? Is the fact that she was young important? Is the talent? Obviously, there's a combination, but what is more important than something else? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it's just, I don't know, it, to define talent, you're right. So it's just something that, that communicates. As far as acting, as far as showbiz, it's just something that communicates. There was something, there were all these comedy teams, but first, what, what was it about Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis that communicated to us? What was it about the Marx Brothers communicated that the Ritz Brothers did? did you, what was it about Marilyn Monroe that communicated more than Jane Mansfield? You know, it's, it's a different thing. Mm-hmm. I, and it, it's like, it's, it's almost like this aesthetics. How do you write down what aesthetics is, you know? You can't put it into words. You can't define You see the most beautiful girl in the world. Let's say we see Sophia Loren. Mm-hmm. Sophia Loren, you just look at this goddess. How can you write what, you know, what, what it is? This is a very beautiful woman. This is a pretty girl. Okay, that doesn't really explain it, though. What is this magic aesthetic that Sophia Loren has? And I can sit here and we could take out a picture of 10, 20 actresses and, and we could disagree on which one is more beautiful than which one and because we're each looking yeah, at something. it's subjective. Steve Allen had the great quote. He just, he, he was talking about comedy. We're talking about our favorite comedians. You know, some people love Jerry Lewis. Some people think he's the most unfunny guy in the world. Bob Hope, same thing. You know, the Mark Star. It's like all, millions of people hate the Three Stooges. To me, there's nobody funnier. Mm-hmm. You know, but anyway, Steve Allen's line, he just goes, he goes, tasting comedy is like tasting colors or cars or women. He goes, it's all subjective. And that's what it comes down to. It's all subjective. It's just that the great stars like Elvis, you have these millions and millions, tens of millions of subjective people who think he's great. That's, the, that's all it is. And, but here's the thing about comedy. As they said, there's an honesty to that that can't be faked. If you laugh, you're going to laugh. Even if you don't want to laugh. If it's funny, it's going right. to make you laugh. Right. And I think that that's, that's one of the reasons we, we put these, these comedians on, on something of a pedestal is because once we're laughing, we can't, we can't deny it. Right. True. I, I have seen people like, for example, uh, people who put down lowbrow comedies, you know, and uh, I pull out Dumb and Dumber with Jim Carrey and put it on. Right. And right. They, they start laughing. And it's like, but you hate this. And, and they, they, they hate themselves for laughing. But it's like, yeah, but it hit that note. And yeah, sometimes you laugh in spite of yourself. Yeah. But you, you, you can't fake. You can get excited over an action movie and then say, well, yeah, it wasn't that great after all. Once I thought about it and mm-hmm. a tragedy, you can say, well, you know, it really was kind of hokey, but you can't fake the laughter. Yeah. Yeah. True. So if, if you have to go beyond Gilligan's Island, what would be your next go-to? Right. Well, my, my favorite, probably of all time, of any show, would be The Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone has so much truth. Twilight, I consider Rod Shelving the Shakespeare of the 20th century. I just, I, I always go, I learned more truth from The Twilight Zone than I did in 12 years of public school. So The Twilight Zone would be the greatest show. 
Gilligan's Island is, is a more visceral thing, you know. I like you get to see Ginger, blah blah blah, boom. It's a funny show, you know. It makes me laugh all the time. And there were some very witty lines in it too. It's like the Three Stooges. Nobody talks about the wit of the Three Stooges. Everybody knows, you know, they're this slapstick thing, and they poked in the eyes and they slapped. Everybody knows that. But if you watch a good Three Stooges short, they had said a lot of witty things. There was a lot of witty verbal humor in it. And same with Gilligan's Island. There were some funny lines in there. Uh, this scene where Mo says, you got to take a bath, and Curly says, what, is it Monday already? Oh, yes, I, I see. Okay, I didn't understand what he said. No, you're right, exactly, something like that. Or they'll go, like, there's one that you go, uh, they're picking one at random. There's, Mo goes, I am an artist. And Larry goes, I am an artist. And then Curly goes, oh, there are drawers. <laughs> and that's a very clever line, a pair of drawers, like a pair of underwear, but uh-huh. they're drawers that drop. That's a funny, funny line. That's as funny as any line ever, you know? It's funny. Yeah, and... Like I said, I, I, I agree with the, on the Twilight Zone because Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone's awesome. Oh, yes. God. Those, the episodes will make you weep. Rod Serling understood so much about truth, and he just learned so much truth. He understood what evil was. He understood what good was, you know, and trust, all these themes he had, and he just nailed it. I'm a big science fiction guy, and that was kind of the first point when adult science fiction became mainstream. It may not have been the first point, but it was a big one. Right. You weren't making just monster movies for the kiddies. This was like, we're going to tell an out-of-this-world story that's going to talk straight to the grown-ups. Yeah, exactly. No, we're going off on all kinds of tangents, you and me. That's okay. When two friends talk, that's just how they talk, you know. We're going to just talk about baseball now. You know, you drift off into different things. And that's a good of, interviewer, which you are. You're a good interviewer, and they'll just go along with it. The guy will go off on this tangent, and he'll, he'll just go along with them. Well, and, and he'll follow the road, you know. Yeah, and the thing is, I'm, I'm trying to get into, you know, what your motivation is, what you like, what you find interesting, and because, you know, I go to a lot of conventions, and I don't mm-hmm. want to ask you what your favorite episode of the show you were on was, or stuff like that. Stuff that I right. know you've been asked a million times. I just want to get you to thinking about what what you really enjoy and. I have sure. done great so far. Okay. Uh, one one more thing. I mean, there's, I, there's so many different arts I enjoy. So many movies I enjoy. My favorite movie of all time is A Hard Day's Night, The Beatles. I love The Hustler. The Hustler's up there. I, every year on my birthday here, and I do the same thing, I always watch Tombstone. It's my one custom. Tombstone is my favorite Western. I always watch on my birthday. Why? It gives me faith for humanity. It gives me faith in humankind that somehow we're going to get out of the mess we're in. <laughs> and that's the message of Tombstone, I think, that you can always get out of it. There, there's a way out somehow. So that's one of my favorites. I, uh, I love, oh, one's coming on air, and I don't know if you've seen it on Sunday, my favorite year. One of my favorite movies. I love that movie. I have not seen that. Yeah, but see it, Aaron. Treat yourself. It's one of the funniest comedies ever made. And it's a beautiful story. It's on Sunday on TCM. I know. Check your local listings. But it's Sunday on TCM. I don't get cable, but I'm conf- I can obtain that movie somehow or other without them. Yeah. Oh, it'll be easy to order online. Yeah. That's that's going to happen for sure. So okay, I'm going to just pick one more of your works before the, before sure. I cut you loose here. Sure. Life with Louie. Was another show that like I, Louis, I, I I remember doing that. I remember meeting him. That was a cartoon show. Mm-hmm. I met me with the nicest guy. I don't remember that much about it to be honest. I remember doing it. Nothing stands out. It's just I, when I recorded, I was never with Louis. It was one of those we didn't record as an ensemble. We did it mm-hmm. separate. But then I did later meet Louis Louis Anderson. I don't know what he's doing now, but he was a very nice guy. He always struck me that way. I, yeah. I, and again, it's just he could have done the Fatty Arbuckle story. I always thought they never Hollywood's never done a Fatty Arbuckle story, really. And I always thought Louis could have done that. He could have played Fatty Arbuckle. I could see that. I could see that. For yeah, sure. 
I, we always have those those dream castings that I okay. Let let me run this yeah. by you here because I I think sure. you would. Uh, are you familiar with the show Big Bang Theory? Yes, I love it. Okay, the actor who plays Sheldon, Jim Parsons. Yes, he's wonderful. I would love to cast him in a movie about the life of Mike Nesmith from the Monkees. Okay, that's a that's an interesting. That's a very creative and clever one. I could see that. I, I could kind of see it. Yeah. I, I mean, they both. I, he kind of looks like him. He kind of sounds like him. There's that drawl. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think. And Mike had a very fascinating. Mike's book is very fascinating. The only thing I didn't like about Mike's biography, I read it. He didn't talk about the monkeys that much. Mm-hmm. There was like one chapter devoted to the monkeys. Which, come on, I mean, whether he likes it or not, he always, he's always going to be known for the monkeys. Mm-hmm. Well, I. His video pioneer, and he likes to think, is... is He's a video pioneer, you're right. Right. Uh, And I get that, but yeah, come on. The two years that you were on the monkeys is is what put you on the map. At least put him out there. Exactly. Yeah, we were talking about Ginger. Tina Louise, the same thing. mm -hmm. You know, no matter what she did, you're going to be Ginger. I'm sorry. You'll always be known as Ginger. I mean, we talked about a lot of things. I, I told you when we, we first talked on the phone, I've only seen bits and pieces with Greece. I have a bit of a history that's pr- kept me from watching the whole thing. But Oh, my God. Oh, you got to see that. I mean, I, speak of classics. Yeah, but you don't mind Not being to brag. A- I don't want to toot my own horn. Do you know, Aaron, I'll meet to this day. I've, I've met maybe like 20 through the years. I've through all the 40 years, I've met 20. that like Greece too better than Greece. And I'm like, are you serious? And, you know, it's not the same universe. Greece is really a classic, beautiful musical. And Greece, too, I just think it's a throwaway B-movie. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. when I, I went to a – I didn't study theater in college, but I went to a school with a very strong theater program. And they were – all the theater people were obsessed with Greece. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I absorbed a lot of it purely through osmosis. Mm-hmm. And, and I watched a bit of it here and there when it was on TV. So, yeah, it's not, nothing against it. But my point is, do you object to being primarily known for Greece? Yes, definitely the answer. Yes, because I have so little. Most of my stuff was cut out of Greece. Greece was my very first movie, mm-hmm. and I had a lot of shtick there. And when I went to the premiere, they cut most of it out. And I asked Randall, Randall Kleiser, our director, was, is the nicest guy you could imagine. He's super nice. And he just goes, look, this is John and Olivia's show. You know, mm-hmm. you were, Eddie, nobody knew me at the time. I was uh, my first film. So they just, I ended up mostly on the cutting room floor. I, end, I get, the, get the pie in the face, you know, and I get the, I walk down the stairs, they mess my hair, and you see me jumping around in the dance scene. But most of my stuff was cut out. And I went to the premiere, and, you know, you do your first film, you're real excited. Then I went, I didn't know what the cutting room floor was. So I went to the premiere, and I saw that, and, I, you know, my heart sank. I go, my God, oh, I'm man. hardly in this movie. Now, I'm known for it because I, I, my own theory is because I look different. Everybody, you know, everybody else is a cool greaser. They're all Fonzie, you know, these cool black. And I have my little ice cream suit. So I think I'm known for the First of all, the scope of Grease. It's got to be, the, I would say it's one of the five most popular movies ever made. It, it's got to be. Because you don't know how many people I've talked to over the years, especially with women. They go, it's my favorite movie. I've talked to three women who broke their tape, literally. I've watched Grease so many times I broke the tape, they say. And you talk to women. How many times have you seen it? Talk to an average woman about Grease. Oh, I've seen it a dozen times. I've seen it a hundred times. It's it's kind of like the Star Wars for women, I think. But the most popular would have to be Wizard of Oz, you know. Then, I don't know, you go down the list. But Greece has got to be, I'll bet it's one of the five most popular movies ever made. I would agree with that. I mean, I yes, yeah. it, it hits that for sure. Uh, well, Eddie, I know it's getting late, and I don't want to keep you too long, but I really, really am enjoying this, and I appreciate everything we talked about here. 
Um, well, listen, I totally enjoyed talking to you. You're an excellent interviewer. You ask very interesting questions. You're a you. wonderful interviewer, and I, I look forward to hearing it. I hope you can get it to me, Aaron, so I can put it on my Facebook page. I'd love the interview to be listened to by my friends, by my I, uh, Facebook friends. I will absolutely send you an email when this goes live, and you can share it anywhere okay. you'd like. But I would like to point my my fans toward your Facebook page and any other social media. So is It's other- my joy. It's my joy. You know, there's heroin addicts. There's you, people take acid or opium. You know, Facebook's my drug of choice. I just, I love it, Aaron. I, 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 I come on it all the time. I love my friend. My only objective is you can only have five thousand friends. There's so many wonderful people out there. I have on my waiting list is over a thousand people. Oh I just want to, wish I could have more people, but I just love and treasure my Facebook friends. We're like a big family. And is that where your, your primary draw is? You don't have a website, you don't do Twitter, you just do it Facebook? Yeah, I do, I do have a website. My Uncle Leo runs my website, but I don't have hardly anything to do with that. Okay. My heart is in my Facebook page. Well, then I will strongly recommend people go there and check you out. Thank you so much. Thank uh, you, Aaron. It's th- been a pleasure talking to you, Aaron, and I wish you continued success with your show. Th- thank you very much. I really do appreciate that, and I would like to have you back on at some point soon. It'll be my pleasure anytime. Okay, take, take care, Aaron. Have a great night. I would like to thank Eddie for being my guest today, and I would like to thank you for listening. Before moving on to the community building part of the show today, I want to acknowledge that yes, if you heard some clicking or tapping in the background of this episode, that's not necessarily by design, but it was an unfortunate byproduct of the recording environment we have, and sometimes I don't think a little of that is that big of a deal. If you disagree, please feel free to reach out to me because I always welcome your feedback. For the community building part of the show, I do want to reach out to anybody who's into the kinds of old shows and movies that Eddie and I were talking about, because a lot of what we talk about is what makes art great, and nothing is greater than the greatest of all time. So if you're getting into that sort of stuff and you would like to reach out to me, please do so at my email address, bossigpodcast.yahoo.com, or on my Twitter feed or my Facebook account. And don't forget, you can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, and we are syndicated on Realm of the Mist. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next time.